Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Detective Agency. Hey, it's me, hey, Sammy the Spade. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe. Out of the fog, out of the night, and into his American adventures comes Bulldog Drummond. You know, if I keep making mistakes here, this in, this introduction is going to be much longer than I really wanted. <laughs> Let's try that all over again. Take two. Hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to The Adventures of Sam Spade with Michael Dunn. <laughs> Sorry, my mistake. Stephen Dunn. Not Michael Dunn. I have Michael on the brain today, only because I have Michael Shane stepping in here pretty soon. And this episode is from 1951, March 30th, The Vendetta Caper. After that is The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from August 6th, 1949, The August Lion. And I'm throwing in here Michael Shane, private detective, from April 23rd, 1945. The episode is entitled Body in the Trunk. And uh, Bulldog Drummond will come back. Actually, Bulldog Drummond will come back when Sam Spade leaves. And Sam Spade is leaving in about three episodes. So I'll just like give you a heads up on that, that Sam Spade, after three episodes, will not be around. Maybe at a later date, yes. And Bulldog Drummond will return then. I just like the idea of Michael Shane being here in the third part of my offerings. So enjoy all these shows, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, the creeks don't rise. Wear your mask social distance, all that stuff. Get your vaccination. Get your booster. Get your Omicron booster. Get all that. And I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, the creeks don't rise. Yes, I know. I repeated myself. <laughs> I just like saying that. Thank you. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. 
Day Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam! I heard you were hobnobbing with the wealthy set of our city. If what I was doing is their idea of hobnobbing, F, I'm glad I'm in the lower income brackets. What do you mean? What happened? I will only reveal that, Effie, in the intimate secrecy of our office. Was it that bad? Worse, F. Emotions ran amok. Passions were strewn from Fisherman's Wharf to the peninsula. <gasps> Hatreds festooned the very air. And... There was jealousy, too. My. It was positively lurid, as they say. Do you you think it's all right for me to to hear it? Well, I'll expurgate it a little, F. I'll water it down to your strength. I'll use monosyllabic instead of polysyllabic words, and so on. Now, Sam, I want you to tell me everything you think I should hear. And then, just a little more. It's a deal, F. Prepare yourself for listening, and I will shortly make my entrance with a saga of society skullduggery. The lowdown on the uptown and all that. Now, if we need a name for it, why not call it the Vendetta Caper? Or the Revenge of Monte Christoph? Transcribed for NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer, director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam, I'm right here. Uh, Let me take your coat. Well, Effie, isn't this sufficient of you? Now, be quiet and give me your coat. All right. right, Thank you. Now, I've oiled your chair so it won't squeak. Sit down. Well, you make me feel like an emotional invalid, but it's wonderful. And here. Oh, well, miracles never cease. A double. Well. It's eight-year-old stuff. I had Friskin's drugstore send it up. Applejack, it's called. Applejack. Well, what brought it on, F? Why this particular polishing of the apple, Jack? Well, uh... Come on, out with it. No, I, I just thought... Well, you've been working with the rich people, and maybe you were handsomely compensated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my back salary? Uh. You're not mad, Sam? Well, as it happens, I did make a few dollars, and uh, yours will be the first account settled. Oh, Sam! So... It wasn't me. It was the money all the time. No, Sam, no, I just... I accept your apology. To Lieutenant J.F. Randall, San Francisco Police Department, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, The Revenge of Monte Christoph. Monte Cristo? Uh, Is this a historical drama? Christoph. C-R-I-S-T-O-F-F. Monte. M-O-N-T-Y. And it's still a historical drama. Dear Lieutenant, Revenge is an old-fashioned motive, but when you get it raw and distilled, as in the Gosden affair, it's new all over again. This was the slow-burning, deliberate kind of passion that starts smoldering way back in the forgotten days and explodes among some people who never knew they were living over a keg of dynamite. It was yesterday morning that the distant sputtering of the fuse began to be heard by a man named Chandler Gosden. You know, I'm the hulking rich boy, the electrical appliance scion who took up professional boxing for a while. I think he was billed as Gold Plate Gosden, a society scrapper. And he was doing well, too, until a right cross by someone who needed the money more than he did sent him back to clipping coupons. Spade? Yeah? I'm Chandler Gosden. Well, I recognize you. What do guys like you charge? Well, it depends on the job. Investigation. $60 a day and uh, any unusual expenses. Cheap? Well. Do you guys have some kind of a code, huh? Code? You know, like doctors. Do you keep things in confidence? Well, most of us do, including me. Yeah, I don't suppose it'd make any big difference if it got out. I'm not afraid of him. I'd just as soon punch him in the mouth as look at him. Who? Monte Christoph. Heard of him? 
No, no. Moved into the peninsula, my neighborhood. Bought the Major Dunhill place. Oh, oh yeah, I know the estate. Must have cost plenty to buy. 250000 I hear. Mm-hmm. And what's money these days? Everybody's got it. Yeah, isn't it awful? It's a tax scheme, I suppose. Ever since he moved into that ark of a house, he's been throwing parties. They're a cross between the last days of Pompeii and a Polish wedding. He invites hundreds of guests, everybody who is anybody. Disgusting. But uh, it seems legal so far. He's been there four months throwing parties, inviting everybody in the phone book. Everybody but me. Well, maybe he just doesn't like you. What are you talking about? I'm one of the best-liked guys in the peninsula. Everybody likes me, little kids, cops, the guys at the country club. I never had an enemy in the world. Besides, I got Virginia. Oh, who's she? My wife. One of the sweetest little girls that ever came down the pike. Well, my apology. She was a bald one. Oh. The year I married her, she was the social catch of the year among the women. Really? Yeah. So was I among the men. Well. Well, look, I got to tell you some more. A month ago, one of my company warehouses burned down. Somebody slipped up and the fire insurance hadn't been renewed. I lost $350,000. Guess who had lunch with my insurance man a week before the fire? Monte Christoph. You got it. Next thing is, the rumor gets around that the Gosden Electrical Company is on the verge of bankruptcy. Well, of course it isn't. Absolutely not. Uh A gossip columnist reports that I'm going to close up shop and beat it to South America with what dough is left. Then when the stock prices start dropping, somebody suddenly buys them up so fast they disappear overnight. Some corporation I never heard of called the the Dante's Corporation. I see. And then all my friends start getting unfriendly. Hmm. As soon as I show up, everybody stops talking. Act as if there's some big secret about me that I don't know. And they've all been to Monte Cristo's parties lately. That's right. The week after he arrived in town, all these things started happening. Now, what I want to find out is why. I don't even know the guy, but he's making a big change in my life. Well, it sounds like you're entitled to know. I don't know how far I can get. The best I can do is find out who he is, where he comes from, who his friends are, all those things. Okay, you're hired. Now, find out everything about this Monte Cristo. I've got to know what's going on. Hmm. I'm sorry, Chandler. I wasn't able to get here when you said. The traffic was absolutely unbelievable. Cars, cars everywhere. They must be giving cars away these days. Everybody has one. I think we should get a helicopter. Mr. Spade, my wife, Ginny. Well, how do you do, Mrs. Gosden? Chan, I hope you haven't lost your head and blabbed everything to him. I told you these sort of men weren't trustworthy. I beg your pardon, madam? Look, Ginny, I told him, and he's a good guy. Well, if you just want to go around giving your life secrets... Oh, shut up, will you? I'm the man of the house. Really? And I suppose I count for nothing? Oh, Oh, forget it. Spade, I'm depending on you. Don't let me down. You wouldn't think a millionaire would be hard to biograph, but I came up with very little information on Mr. Monte Christoph. He'd arrived in town four months ago, stayed ten days at the St. Mark Hotel, then bought his house. He had a bank deposit running into seven figures. He had no known business connections, just money. The register at the St. Mark said he came from Chicago. And an airline company verified that he'd been a passenger aboard one of their ships from the Windy City. This was as far as I'd delved when my place of business was entered by a man in powder blue livery. You, Spade? The same. Mr. Monte Christoph sent me to pick you up. I see. Up for where? For his mansion on a peninsula. Oh. He said he knew what a rough time you must be having at your present job and that he'd be glad to make the whole thing simple to you. Oh, you really said that? That's what he said. Well... But I don't know what it means exactly. Well, I don't know what it means exactly either, but uh, there's one good way to find out. Home, James. Uh, my name is Bertuccio, sir. Bertuccio? I see. How long have they been calling you that? Well, let me see. It's about... Oh, what do you mean? I mean, it's my name. 
All right, all right. We'll talk it over in the car. The car was long and blue and smooth. I'm as democratic as the next guy, and I would just as soon have ridden up front with Bertuccio, but no, he wouldn't hear of it. I had to ride in a back seat with a window of bulletproof glass separating us. And thus we rode down to the peninsula. We glided down elm-shaded streets and finally through the gate of Monte Cristo's estate. The driveway was lined with spring green poplars. The mansion door was opened by a rear admiral, and I was ushered in. I wouldn't want to say that the living room was large, but I coughed once, and it was a full minute before the echo came back. A door opened somewhere, and a tanned, hard-bodied man walked in across the marble floor with an outstretched hand. It was tougher than whalebone. I appreciate you coming, Mr. Spade. Mr. Christoph. Did you have a drink? Champagne? Scotch? Irish? What? Oh, anything. Whatever you like. Good. I figured you for rye. It's already ordered. Rye it is. Cigar? No, thanks. That custom rolled Havana's, made expressly to my own taste. Oh, thanks anyway, but I have some beat-up cigarettes here, son. Oh, try mine. The king of England, I did him a favor once. He ships them over. Uh, how is George? You drink, Mr. Spade. Oh, thank you, Bertuccio. Now, you've been investigating me. Yes. And you haven't found out anything. How'd you know, Mr. Christo? There was nothing to find out. Well, you're red. I'll do you a service and save you time and money. Well, that's a handsome offer, I accept. I was born in Michigan to a prosperous lumber family. I went to Phillips Andover in Harvard. Well. Mark's fair. I served with the Army in the recent war. Major, military police, wounded twice. Uh-huh. Parents died while I was in Italy. I inherited enormous lumber holdings, which I sold. Hence my bank account. I like San Francisco. Came here, settled down. Well, you're very kind, but I don't need all this I have more money than a man can spend in a lifetime. And by that, I don't mean to boast. It was an accident of birth. Yes. yes. Now, Mr. Christoph, I'm only trying to find I out. I know what, what you're trying to find out. Chandler Gosden put you on my trail. Well, there's no need to deny it. And uh, what would you take to get off my trail, Mr. Spade? Well? New car, a selection of fine liquor, a better job, cash. All rather enticing, but uh, I'm afraid you've misjudged me, sir. I only work for one client at a time. Is there anything wrong with switching your allegiance? Well, I'm afraid it wouldn't be cricket. Uh, Is that the way they say it at Andover? Very well. Then I'm afraid I've given you all the information I can about myself. Well, you've been very generous. But uh, just one other thing. How long did you live in Chicago? Chicago? Yes. I never lived there. But you flew here from Chicago. Oh, that. I was just there on business. Uh-huh. Well, if you say so. Bertuccio is outside with a car. He'll drive you back to your office. And with that, he turned and left me. Outside, Bertuccio was waiting. Impassively, he ushered me into the limousine and started out. Only we didn't head for my office. Instead, we seemed to be leaving town. I banged on the glass between us, but Bertuccio didn't choose to answer When we stopped at a light, I tried the doors, but they were both mysteriously locked. I was a prisoner in a moving jail. I made desperate signs to passers-by and traffic policemen I knew, but they just smiled and waved back at me. It was all very jolly. So I sat back and waited. About 20 or 30 miles out of town, we pulled onto a lonesome road and stopped. Here we are. Well, just where are we and why? Now, don't blow your top. Christoph told me to take you out here and to give you this. Oh? What's in the envelope? Money. Two grand, the big sack. Well, that's a lot of grands. They're going to do a lot for you. 
You're going to take it and keep going north. 48 hours will be long enough just so you keep out of Frisco. Well, just so you know how I stand, I'm going back. You know, I was hoping you'd say that. Now I can do things my own. He pulled out a long black sap and started wielding it. The first cut just grazed my head and smashed into my shoulder. I blocked his second blow and moved in for some close work. The third time he swung at me, his arm caught an overhead tree branch, and that was his undoing. He took four or five and then went down and out. I searched him, and his billfold revealed that he was Joseph Kowalski, late of Chicago, Illinois. The cards and addresses it contained left little doubt that Kowalski was in the rackets. I threw him in the car and drove back to town and police headquarters. He was awake by then, and I had to drag him into the hall. You want him locked up, Sam? What for? Assault and battery. Assault with a deadly weapon. Assault with intent to murder. Mayhem, anything. You can't lock me up. I didn't do any of those things. Anyway, if I did do him, it was in San Martin County, not Frisco. Well, Sam, I don't know what I can do. He's got to do something in our jurisdiction. Sure, see? All right, he picked my pocket on the way into town. Here, Kowalski. What? See, look, he's got my wallet in his hand right now. Why, of all the brazen lawbreakers, you gonna let him get away with this? Walking right into headquarters with the evidence in his hand? Oh, wait a come minute. Come on, come on, Kowalski. We go pretty hard on pickpockets in this town. I'm being framed. I want a lawyer. Get me a telephone. He was dragged away, protesting. He got no sympathy from me. He started. Lieutenant Randall then teletyped Chicago to find out more about him. In about an hour, the report came back. I won't read his whole record, Sam, but he's paid for everything, they say. He's clean. Huh? However, it does say he, he was the bodyguard for a man named Barney Moffat. Mm. Says Moffat was a shady business operator. Picked up several times, but nothing hung on him. Mm-hmm. He left town about the same time Kowalski did. He's listed as undesirable, but he's not wanted. Oh. Thanks, Lieutenant. If a man named Barney Moffat had a hood named Joseph Kowalski as a bodyguard and they both disappeared from Chicago at the same time, the obvious conclusion was conclusively obvious. I drove the limousine back to Kristoff's estate. But as I parked the car, my headlights hit another car. There was someone getting into it, Mrs. Chandler Gosling. Oh, you, what do you think you're doing? Remember me, Sam Spade? Oh, detective. Yes. What are you following me for? What were you doing in Kristoff's house? I thought he was a... wasn't a friend of yours. Or your husband. Mr. Spade, get in, please. Let's talk. Okay, spill it. It's none of your business what I was doing in there. But whatever it was, I want you to forget you ever saw me. That'll be pretty hard to do. Would money help you? In this case, no. What do you care what happens to my life or Chan's or Kristoff's? Because your husband's paying me to worry. All right. But if I were you, I'd just forget that you ever met any of us. Because this mess we're in is so bad that nothing you or anybody else can do is going to get us out of trouble. With that, she burst out crying. I couldn't get anything else out of her. So I let her go and she drove off. I walked up to Christoph's house, knocked on the door, and a servant opened it. Took a couple of steps inside when six pairs of arms grabbed me. Some of them had fists on them. The struggle was just getting lively when Christoph appeared. Let him go. Hell, I don't appreciate this kind of treatment, Christoph. You weren't it, Spade. All right, men, take a walk. Now, what's it all about? It was my orders if you ever showed up here again. Why'd you soften? I just heard about Kowalski. You managed that very well. I admire resourcefulness. How would you like to work for me? No, thanks, Moffat. Moffat? Barney Moffat, late of Chicago and the rackets. So you know, huh? Well, I wasn't sure until just now, but you've cleared up the doubt. How much do you know? Very little. Just that you were a shady operator, but nobody's looking for you or anything. 
Spade, I did a lot of things. Several years at tightrope walking with the law. But I never did anything they could jail me for. I have an idea you're considering doing something in the near future. What makes you say that? Well, it's a vendetta, isn't it? Monte Christoph and Bertuccio the Stewart and the Dentist Corporation. You couldn't resist the drama, could you? All from Dumas' novel. But why? Why do you want to play the con of Monte Cristo? What did Gosden do to you to merit all this revenge? Tomorrow. It'll be over tomorrow. And with that, he clutched at his heart and fell forward at my feet. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. If you've been searching for mystery on Saturday night, put away your magnifying glass and follow these clues. Dial this NBC station tomorrow evening and listen for the chimes, and then you'll be off on a perilous trip with The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall. And if you've been searching for music, too, on Saturday, then Eileen Wilson is your dish as she stars in your hit parade with Snooky Lanson and Raymond Scott's orchestra. Now back to the Vendetta Caper or the Revenge of Monte Christoph. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I bent over and listened to his heart. It was okay. Monte Christoph had just keeled over, apparently, from a crescendo of emotion. He blacked out. I didn't want to be held up by his henchmen, so I left the room and walked out of the house without calling anybody. I walked down the road, and good luck, there was an empty cab cruising along. At Chandler Gosden's, I found him pacing the living room in a state of physical and mental disorder. I told him what I knew. Vendetta? Why? I never heard of him. I never did anything to the man. Why would your wife go and see him? I don't know. Why don't you ask her? Because she hasn't been home all day, and here it is, one o'clock in the morning, she's still listening. Tell me, is there something special happening tomorrow? Christoph seemed to think that everything would be settled tomorrow. It's our annual corporation election, just a matter of form. I'm elected president, a few other people voted into office, always the same people. Well, then he must plan to swing the election his way, maybe put you in office. Oh, he's got a fat chance of that. I don't care how much stock he buys. Ginny owns 10%. I own 41. That's 51%. If he bought 49% in the open market, that still wouldn't be enough. We could still outvote him. You're sure you've got the stock in your position? I saw it last week when I was down in the vault looking for my birth certificate. Stupid me. Forgot I don't have a birth certificate. No, that must be Edson, my lawyer. Called and said he had something on his mind. Jim. Chandler, I have bad news for you. It can wait. No, no, it can't. This is Sam Spade, Ralph Edson. How do you do? Uh, Spade. Now, Chan, listen to me. All right, what's biting you? Just this. We're liable to lose that election tomorrow. What? What are you talking about? We can't. I just found out that Monte Cristo has 59% of the voting stock in Gosden Electric. 15? He can't have it. Oh, look, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If my wife sold her stock, he could have 59, couldn't he? He could. Spade. Hmm? Are you positive you saw her coming out of Christoph's house? I'm afraid I did. I'm going to find her. I'm going to find her, and if she sold any of her stock to Christoph, I'll kill her. I tried to dissuade him, but he brushed me and the lawyer aside and ran out of the house. I called the police and told them to try and find Virginia Gosden before her husband did. Then I went looking myself. 
The first place I tried was Monte Christoph's mansion. There were lights on, so I entered, gun in hand. I didn't have any time to dicker with servants and bodyguards. And Christoph appeared in a matter of seconds. All right, Spade, what is it you want now? Virginia Gossin. She hasn't been here since the last time you saw her. You know where she is? I haven't any idea. Well, if you know, tell me. Her husband's looking for her with homicide in his eyes. I can't say I'm sorry. Well, that's a nice sentiment. She sold you her stock in the Gossin Company, didn't she? Since you seem to know about it, yes. Why? she in love with you? I think maybe she is. And you're in love with her? She's a stupid, empty-headed nothing. I can't stand the sight of her. I hate her. I... Now hold it now. You'll knock yourself out again. Yes. Yes. Come over here. Take a good look at that. No, it's a pillow. An ordinary pillow. So? You notice how dirty it is? Yeah. Notice that it isn't even stuffed with feathers? They were too good. It's stuffed with dirty cotton rags. Well? My father's head was lying on that pillow when he died. I've kept it ever since as a reminder of who killed him. Who did? A man named Elwood Gosden. A man who cheated and lied and stole everything he had in his life. Chandler's father, huh? Yes. My father and Elwood Gosden had a hardware store once. My father invented an electric iron. Ever heard of the Gosden iron? Yeah. It should have been the Moffat iron. Elwood Gosden stole the plans from my father, registered them first, and then drove my father out of business. He made a fortune out of it, and then went into other electrical appliances. Well, things are beginning to gel now. My father became a peddler and died poor and broke and ill. My mother died 20 years before she should have from overwork, while the Gosdens grew fat and respected on the Moffat brains. So you started your vendetta, huh? I started it the day my father died. I set out to make one thing in this world, money. And I made it in handfuls. You can look me up. Barney Moffat, Chicago. Gambling, black markets, gun running, slave trading, anything and everything that had a big profit in it. And then I set out for San Francisco to break that Creighton son of Elwood's and his whole family. And on the way, you lost a guy named Barney Moffat. What difference? Huh. Look, you've got money now and everything you need. Why go on with it? I don't care anything about money. I only want to use it against them. Do you know why I had all those parties? To buy stock from people. Yes. Stock in the Gosden Company. I've paid twice, three times what the shares were worth. But right now, I own 59% of the Gosden Enterprises. And tomorrow morning, when the two of us meet at the stockholders' meeting, I'm going to vote him out of office and take over the company. And then, I'm going to drive it right into bankruptcy. And you got Mrs. Gosden's stock by making her fall in love with you. I had to. Don't let's talk about it anymore. About Chandler Gosden, he's a man with a very short and violent temper. He might come gunning for you. That's just what I hope he does. Ask the man at the door to show you out. I spent most of the night trying to find Virginia Gosden with no luck. Chandler didn't return to his house, so I didn't know what he was up to. It was early the following day when I got my first report. Lieutenant Randall called me down to police headquarters. We found her, Spade. Dead or alive? Oh, about halfway in between. She was shot in the chest at close range. Gun right up against her. But she's still living. And what are her chances? Fair. Where'd you find her? In a walk-up apartment on Polk Street. It was registered to her. Looked like a love nest, a place where she met a boyfriend or something. No weapon. I see. I figure murder attempt, her husband. We have a pickup on him right now, but so far he's vanished. Shame, fine old San Francisco family. What do you know, Sam? 
Well, give me a free hand for a couple of hours, will you? Maybe I can do something for this fine old San Francisco family. I had no more idea than the police where Chandler Gosden was at the moment, but I had a good idea where he might be later in the morning. I put a call into Ralph Edson, his lawyer. The stockholders' meeting of the Gosden Company was to be held at 11 o'clock at their executive offices. Edson got me in, and at five minutes to 11, Monte Christoph walked in. There were three of us. None of us spoke. We just sat around a long, polished table, alternately watching the clock and the door. At 11.3, the door opened. Chandler Gosden stood there, rumpled, red-eyed, vicious. He had a gun. The first man who moves is going to get a bullet right in the face. Chandler, for heaven's sake. Shut up. Is that the gun you tried to kill your wife with? It's the gun, but I didn't try to kill her. She did it herself because he drove her to it. Me? Yeah, you, Christoph. You were meeting her in an apartment. Don't think I've been dumb. Put the gun away and let's get down to business. Are you kidding? I got the same gun she used on herself and I'm going to use it on you. Well, stop talking and get it over with. You act as if you want me to do it. All right. Edson, Spade, clear out of here. Gazin, use your head. I said get out of here. Now go on. Okay, but don't take your eye off him. He's got a gun in his pocket. Don't worry, I won't. You were working for him. Working for him all along. Everybody was. No, now listen to me. He wanted you to kill him. He doesn't care about himself. He just wanted you to be put away for murder. Spade, this is our affair, not yours. Now look, both of you shut up and listen. This is a tough thing to try to settle something that's been boiling up in you, Moffat, ever since you can remember. You spent all of your grown-up life trying to get back at the wrong man. It appealed to some ironical sense of yours to carry out the Monte Cristo revenge story. Now let me ask you this. You remember all about Monte Cristo and how he ruined the people who had ruined his life and how his father died heartbroken. But do you remember the end of that book? Go on. He found that he couldn't bring himself to revenge the wrongdoings of families on their innocent children. That reads good in a book, but I don't feel that way. Well, maybe you will when you hear this. What? This man right here that you've spent 20 years getting ready to ruin is not even a Gosden. What? He's an adopted son. Uh, Mr. Elwood Gosden adopted him from an Oakland orphanage on October 11th, 1907. I got the records to prove it this morning. I don't believe it. I would have known. Mr. Edson, you've always been the family lawyer. Isn't this true? It was a long chance that Edson would play along with it. But to bring it off, it needed the final clincher. Lawyer Edson looked at me, then looked at Chandler Gosden. He gulped and licked his lips. It's true. It's true, Chandler. Adopted? Uh, your, Your father never wanted you to know. Chandler didn't move. He just stood there stunned. But Barney Moffat sank down into a chair and buried his head in his hands. Edson and I looked at each other and waited. Finally, Christoph looked up and spoke. Start the meeting. Mr. Edson? Uh, I hereby declare the annual stockholders' meeting of the Gosden Company open. Uh, uh, Mr. Gosden? I don't care what happens now. I bow to the majority stockholder. Oh, uh, Mr. Christoph, I beg your pardon, Mr. Moffitt? As the majority stockholder, I vote that the chairmanship of the Gosden Electrical Corporation remain as it has for the past 20 years with Chandler Gosden. <laughs> Period. End of report. Oh, Sam, you were magnificent. It was rather a stirring scene, wasn't it? I was good. 
But it was superb. It really was. Mm Mm-hmm. Did he sign over the stock and everything? Oh, he did indeed. Oh. Sam. Hmm? Do you think the world will ever get to a time when everybody has all he wants? And instead of trying to get more, everybody spends his time just... just trying to enjoy life? Well, you know best, Effie. Do you really believe that, Sam? Well, you've got to believe something. It's better than nothing. I guess. I have a theory, too, Sam. Well, spout it out. Well, if everybody in the world picks somebody else to be nice to, there'll never be any more trouble anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you figure that? Well, before you can be nice to somebody, you have to think nice thoughts. Mm-hmm. See? And once you start thinking nice thoughts, well, you can see how silly the bad ones are. Effie, come here. Huh? You know, I might just put you up as a candidate for a chair of philosophy at Columbia. Oh, Sam. I know who you picked out to be nice to. Me. True. And I picked you. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. Tonight's transcribed adventure of Sam Spade was produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn, Lorene Tuttle as Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Tomorrow, Dennis Day and Judy Canova entertain you on NBC. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. It started with death on my doorstep and got worse when I lied to a sympathetic bull, was pistol whipped by a gorilla with dimples, and fought with a kitten on the keys. And it might have gone on that way all night if I hadn't been helped by the king of the beasts. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The August Lion. One of those in-between hours, along about ten on a night at home when you don't quite know what to do with yourself. Then all of a sudden it's eleven, and then eleven thirty, and you're in slippers and a robe and have done nothing, <laughs> which is exactly where I was, except that I'd already decided on one, and only one, very dry martini, a quiet cigarette, and bed, when it came loud, insistent, and unwelcome. No improvement when I opened up. I saw less than five feet of excited cab driver jumping up and down. Mister, you Doc Marlowe? Yeah, I'm Doc. Doc Marlowe. That's right. Here he comes with a doc. You better make room. Is the sofa there okay? I'll clear it off. Wait a minute, Jack. Who comes? Who? Okay, mister. Bring her on in. The doc's here, all right. Hey, doc, is she stiff? She's out like a light. Who? The babe. Who do you think? Sure too bad some people can't drink, huh, Doc? Yeah, it's real tough. Now tell me, do you... Hello, Phil. 
That's an angel. I'm sorry to bust in on you this way. Is the sofa all right? No, it's tough with granite. Put her in the bedroom. Okay, will you take care of the driver, please? Yeah, yeah. How much, friend? Well, uh, only 80 cents on a meter, Doc. A couple of bucks ought to cover it here. Good night. Good night, Diamond Jim. Well, Phil, I guess I'd better explain all this. Uh Uh-huh. Here, I haven't seen you in six months, and when I do... Never mind the details, Judd Boy. Let's talk about the problem. Who's the girl? Her name's Voss. Eileen Voss. She's kind of a stockbroker. Maybe speculator's a better term. You know, takes big chances with other people's money. I was in love with her, Phil, until tonight. When what happened? When I found out I was just one of many, it it threw me, Phil. I really lost my temper. I swore I'd kill her on sight. Yeah, most guys do at a time like that, Judd. What's that got to do with her being drunk? By the way, while we're talking, I'll put on some coffee, huh? No, don't, Phil. Why not? Because it can't help. She had a shot too many, all right, only this one's a bullet in her head. She's dead. Oh, fine. Now, Phil, listen, please. You've got to help me. I've got to find out who did it. Phil, it started a couple of hours ago when I found out she'd been playing me for a sucker. I went to her place the first time in a week, boiling mad. The door was open. Captain Angel's eyes never left my face as he told the story from the beginning. A girl's body on the couch when he walked in, a neat hole in the back of her head. The gun he knew she owned shoved under a pillow. Then in the next second, before he could even look in the other rooms, the arrival of the cabbie somebody called who thought Eileen was just another drunk who had to be shown the way to go home. How he seized on that as an opportunity to keep from being placed at the scene of the murder he had every reason to commit. How minutes after he was in the cab, he realized he was near my place. How to avoid suspicion, he said I was a doctor. Everything except why, specifically, he was so afraid of the police. I knew that was going to be next. Now, Phil, I suppose you want to know why I couldn't... couldn't possibly call the police. Yeah, that's right. Why? Because I'd surely be booked and fingerprinted. And that had ruined me. You see, a long time ago, I served time in the state penitentiary in Illinois. What? Yes, yes. So I've kept it quiet. Only Phoebe Hammond in my office knows. It was for forgery, Phil. It was under another name and way back when I didn't know the difference between clever business and crooked business. Mm. It's taken ten years to work up my reputation as an accountant. So you see, if I get mixed up in this, it'll all come out and... Well, smash. Lots of pieces. No more. Oh, you've got to help me, Phil. You've got to find the real killer before the police get to me. Please, Phil. I can't, Judd. It'd be smashing just as many little pieces for me, too, if I tried to pull anything like this on homicide. Oh, I'm sorry, Judd. I've got to report this body. But, Phil, look. What if you do report the body, but you say that you don't know anything about it, that you're going out to find what you can? What about that, Phil? Oh, please. Please, Phil. Okay. What's the girl's address? 91 Hollycrest Drive. 91 Hollycrest. Yeah, the, the door wasn't locked, Phil. Mm-hmm. Your phone number, Judd? Gladstone 3926. Three, I won't two, move six. out of my place until I hear from you. Now, make sure you don't, Judd. Because if I can't find the real killer, I've got to tell what I know about you. You understand that, don't you? <laughs> Angel left, I called Detective Lieutenant Matthews to police headquarters and lied that there was a corpse in my apartment about which I knew nothing. But I was on my way out to see what I could find. Then I hung up fast, not feeling very good. Twenty minutes later, when I was in the plush living room at 91 Hollycrest Drive, I had zero to go on. Until I got to the bedroom where, caught in the folds of lace at the bottom of a petticoated vanity, I found a piece of male jewelry that stood out against that backdrop like argyle socks on a turtle. It was a gold tie clasp ornamented with a figure of a lion, a little more majestic than most. I dropped it into my pocket and then moved out into a long hall that led to the kitchen. I was about to start toward it when he spoke. Don't move, buddy. Like the voice, he was thick and soft, especially in the middle where he was girdled in double-breasted gray flannel. 
so I couldn't tell whether he was plus or minus a tie clasp. Also, he had no hair and a pair of deep dimples that danced when he talked. A gun in his hand, didn't he? Okay, turn around. Let's go back to the living room, buddy. I want to ask you a few questions. Like why you're taking inventory here. Well, it's my job. You see, I'm an auctioneer. The lady of the house won't need this stuff anymore. She's not going to... Now, stop where you are. And don't turn around. Okay, where's the girl? Come on, come on, where is she? Out. And only if you'll tell me why you want to know will I tell you where. You see, that way I come out even. And maybe. Lylene's boss owes me money, buddy, and I want it now before she's flat broke. Now, you, where is she? On her way to the morgue, like you don't know. What do you mean by that? I didn't kill her? Honest, engine. Listen, you. Get this straight. I came into this place just now for one reason only. To check on the Voss girl and make sure she wasn't on her way out of town, bag and baggage in hand, and my 50 grand. Now, don't forget that. I'll try not to. And don't move. Hello. Uh, no. No, she's not here. She is... Judy? Yeah. Yeah, it's me, honey. No, no, she's, um... She's out. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you about it later at, at, at the club. Yeah. Right, Judy. So long. Now, where were we, buddy? In the middle of a big fat lie, a reason for being here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where we were. And you know, that's a good old place to leave it. Ah! Oh, buddy. Twin telephones, lamps, and end tables next to me got back to being one of each again. I saw the note next to the phone that said, Call Monday at the garden room. This didn't add too much until I realized that Monday was spelled not as the day in the week, but M U N D Y. And I recalled that the garden room was a cozy collection of crepe paper flowers where some people did their serious drinking. That plus dancing dimples telling a girl named Judy who had called for Eileen in the first place. That he'd meet her at the club was a little better than the zero-plus tie class I'd been working with. And a half hour later, that little became a lot and things started to dovetail because a placard under glass in front of the garden room bragged about the glamour-plus pianist featured inside, whose name was first Judy, second Monday, not his day in the week. I blessed my good luck, exchanged smiles only with a hat-check girl in the lobby, and found a table for one inside, not more than a half a dozen octaves away from Miss Monday's left hand. I'd ordered a drink and had a cigarette going before she paid any attention to me. I'll play anything you want. It's a rule of the house. Just name it, or hum it, or whistle. But don't croon. That's also a rule of the house. What'll it be? How about the number you always play for that fat friend of yours? You know, the one with the deep dimples? Burlesque? Hmm. <laughs> sure. Kind of corny. Remember it? Yeah. You a friend of his? Not exactly. I didn't think so. He'd crown you if he heard you say dimples. He's sensitive. You're new here, aren't you? I've been in once or twice. Mutual friend of ours used to speak well of you. Eileen Voss. What made her change her mind? She was murdered tonight. Any idea who did it? I said any... I heard you. No, mister, I haven't got the slightest idea. There, that's the end of your request. Sorry, but I'm only allowed one to a customer. It's a rule it's of the rule. house, I know, yeah. I'll see you, Judy. Yeah. 
Marlowe, Angel. Oh, oh, Phil. Where are you? What have you found out? In that order, I'm in a phone booth at a club called the Garden Room. What I found out so far won't impress Detective Lieutenant Matthews of the Homicide Squad at all when next we meet. But nothing in the apartment? No lead of any kind? I'm not sure, Judd. I ran into a round man with a sleek gun who piled me up and left before very much was said. But Phil, the Garden Room, the girl there's a friend of Eileen's. Talk to her. Yeah, yeah, I already did, Judd. Got me the round man's name and no more. It was Berleffi. You mean anything? Berleffi? Yeah. A fat guy with dimples and no hair? That's right. He claimed Eileen had 50 grand that belonged to him. Yeah, that must be him then, Phil. Oh? Yes, he's a gray marketeer. Comes from San Francisco. I've never seen him, but the girl in my office, Phoebe Hammond, can help us. Mm-hmm. She once did some auditing work for Berleffi when she found out how crooked he was. She told me about him. I'll call her and have her meet you there, Phil. All right. But look, I'll be at a corner table facing the door. And tell her to hurry, will you? I'll call you back later. Goodbye. Exactly one o'clock when what was at least three parts CPA to each part woman pushed the front door out of the way and entered. At the top, there was close-cropped hair, streaked with some gray, no hat. At the bottom, dark brown stockings running into darker brown shoes, no heels. In between, severely tailored tweed closed tight at the neckline. It took all of 15 efficient seconds to decide that I was her man. And less than that again to introduce herself, ask for a cigarette, and name her drink. When it was my turn to talk, I brought her up to date. Eileen Boss's murder included... Too bad, Marlo. Judd's a great guy. Yeah. Why, it was only lunch today that he was knocking himself out, trying to figure what would be 4 for my birthday next week. <laughs> now this. Tell me, what can I do to help? Well, at the moment, Burleffi. All I know about him, Miss Hammond, aside from what I've told you, he said at Eileen's, is that he and Judy Monday are a team. And Judy was a friend of Eileen. <laughs> How cozy. Isn't it? Well, it goes like this. Burleffi's front name is Steve, and he's mm. out of San Francisco via Detroit and Chicago. And in each case, only a length of the subpoena ahead of the law. Oh? Back in the 30s, he was a mobster. The numbers game, protection racket, that kind of stuff. But after the war, he cashed in all his chips and went into a more or less legitimate business. With, of course, absolutely no change in tactics. Know what you mean. Now, look, can you tell me where he lives? No. But I'll bet my bottom dollar that the kitten on the keys here can. Mm. Only be careful. The lefty has a reputation for shooting first and talking later. I only hope he isn't after Judd, too. You know, there might be some connection between them that goes back to the days when Judd was Francis Lyon and Berletti... Phoebe, did you just say Francis Lyon? That's right. L-Y-O-N. Uh-huh. Judson Angel is the name he took when he came out here. Why? What does that mean? I don't know. Here, look at this tie clasp. Oh? The ornament. It's also a lion. I found it in the bedroom at Eileen's place, and yet Judd told me that he hadn't gone past the living room. But... But, Marlo, that doesn't prove that Judd lied. Why, it might not be his at all. Mm. Have you ever seen it before? No, I haven't. Besides, I never knew Judd to wear a tie class. Okay. Could belong to Berleffi. But it's still worth checking after we get Judd out of his apartment. Look, where's your place, Phoebe? Mulholland Drive, 361 North. 361. About a mile up into the hills. I'll let you do the trick. Honey, you go home and stay close to the fireside. I'll get a hold of Judd and tell him to get over there fast. And then maybe we... We can... Maybe we can what? What is it, Marlo? Outside, Phoebe. It's a man coming this way. Belletti? Worse. Goodbye, baby. I'll see you later at your place. I've been afraid of this all night. But who is it? What's his name? Detective Lieutenant Matthews. He's a police officer, Phoebe. First, last, and always. So long. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... 
Music you like best of all, whether it's classical favorites or popular old ballads, is the music you hear when you tune in Sunday afternoon to the Symphonette and the Choral Ears. This Sunday, the Symphonette plays popular operatic pieces and has as guest Milton K., pianist, who will play the final movement from Rachmaninoff's Concerto No. 2 in C minor. The male choir and Lenny Stokes, featured baritone of the Choral Ears, will bring you Pale Moon, The Wizard of Oz, Alice Blue Gown, Make Believe, and other favorites. Yes, it's the music you like when you tune in the Symphonette and the Choral Ears every Sunday over most of these same CBS stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The August Lion. I left Phoebe Hammond at the table and moved toward the bar. My first impulse was run, do not walk. This is a different kind of an emergency. But a quick glance into the mirror behind me tagged that as suicide and pushed try nonchalance into its place because I could see that Detective Lieutenant Matthews had already spotted me. When he was closer, I could also see that nonchalance would go over like uh, punching him in the nose on the steps of City Hall. All right, Phil, that little game is over. Now let's have it straight and fast. Who are you working for? And don't bother with the pitch on professional ethics, so we'll try this all over again down at headquarters. His name, what is it, Phil? Judson Angel, he's a friend. Yeah. Who is what to the corpse? He was in love with her, but he didn't kill her. Oh. Now, look, Matthews, I've never held out on you before, have I? Which means you want to start now, huh? What are you getting at, Phil? My client's in a jam, Lieutenant. He didn't kill the girl, but unless I can find out who did, he's an eyebrow deep in a mess that doesn't even concern him. Which has what to do with you playing bashful tipster on the phone with a body being in your bedroom and Marlowe starring like a one-man police force? Will you listen? Come I... on, Phil. I've been an hour and a half just finding you. Now, level. Why is this Judson Angel in a jam if he didn't do it? Okay, okay. We'll try it honestly. He once did time in another state under another name way back when he had less sense. Ah. If he's booked and fingerprinted, it'll be splashed all over the papers. He'll be ruined. Why? What's his business? Well, today it's accountancy and then it was forgery. You can see that side by side they don't make a very handsome couple. Now, come on, Matthews. Give the guy a break, will you? Take my word. He deserves it. What do you want me to do? Give me some time. If I don't have the answers, I'm out of luck and so is Judson Angel. Please, Matthews. All right, all right, Phil, all right. Sixty minutes. Uh, and if I don't hear from you, by ten after two, we start all over again down on headquarters, your client included. I'll be waiting for your call, Phil. Good night. Detective Lieutenant Matthews was nobody's keystone cop, and I knew that when he said 60, count him 60 minutes, he meant just that and no more. So I found a nice and public phone booth at a gas station across the street, and while I kept one eye out for Berlethi and Associates, I dialed Judson Angel's number. But in the next second, when I was through to him, I knew that I could forget about Berlethi on my end. Phil, I'm in trouble here. Outside of man and woman. They're coming up the walk now. He's fat and gray flannel? Yes, yes. She just pulled up in a cab, and he's been out there 20 minutes watching the place. Berlethi, listen, Judd, get out the back way. Get over to Phoebe's place. I say, will you get out? Get to Phoebe's place on Mulholland Drive. I'll see you there. Hurry. All right, Marlo. All right. Marlo, he's in. Just put that phone down, Angel, or I'll kill you. Now. When I squeezed to a stop at number 21 South Orange Lane, which was lights out, front door open, and no car parked in sight, I went inside. Just visible in the moonlight was the huddled figure I'd been afraid I'd find. What I didn't know until I was kneeling next to it was that it was Judy Mundy, not my client, and only unconscious, not dead. 
was a large white envelope lying next to her, and beyond that, a litter of broken porcelain that had once been a lamp. I switched on a light, found some brandy, and then brought her to oh. as fast as I could. Oh. Oh. Marlowe. Yeah, and with a brand new request. Here, take a drink. Oh. Now, I'll ask the questions. One, what happened here with the three of you? Where's Berleffi and, more important, Judd Angel? Come on, baby, talk back. Oh, right. Angel got away. I don't know where he is. Berleffi? Dead, I hope. I got him to thank for that lamp getting together with my head. How come? Angel made a break for it, kicked out the lights and tossed the lamp at the same time. Hero Berleffi used me for a shield, then took off after him. Mm. Your connection with both Berleffi and Eileen Voss, what was it? I forget. Come on, Judy, baby, talk. You're not going to get another chance this side of the witness box. Witness, witness box? What for? Your girlfriend's murder, trial by jury, an old Yankee tradition, you Wait remember? I didn't have anything to do with Eileen getting killed. They can't tie that onto me. They can try. Now, what'll it be? It'll be... It'll be what you want. That's better. I only got chummy with Eileen in the last month, Marlo, because Berleffi told me to. He was my boyfriend. Hooray for love. Go on. What was in it for Berleffi? He wanted to know where Eileen got her tips on the market. That way he could keep paying her any commission. Figures. What went wrong? Nothing. Only instead of finding out how well she knew who, I discovered she was going broke, period. The rest of it, you, Eileen, being dead, that muscle woman you talked to in the bar, all Wait a minute, you... wait a minute, wait a minute. What about that girl in the bar? You two get together? Oh, not for very long. Mm. After you left the table, she went outside, so I followed. Why? Because the cow jumped over the moon. Why do you think? I was still working for Belefe, remember? I thought it would help if he knew where she fit in. What did it get you? A slap in the face. It said she was raised on barbells. And this envelope here that fell out of her pocket. Oh? Don't get excited about it. It's only one of those horoscope charts. What do you do? Collect them as a hobby? When there are notes on the back, yeah. However, her friend Berleffi was unimpressed. Yeah, look yourself. It's double talk. Mm. Cost plus by 10%. 90 days, will you? Yeah, it's strictly a CPA's margin notes. Doesn't mean that you... Follow your mouth open. What is it? You look dumb. Dumb I am and have been all night. Sweetheart, in your own clumsy way, you may have saved Justin Angel's life. What are you talking about, Marla? According to this horoscope, it's written in the stars. Maybe I'll make a good cop happy. Goodbye, sweets. Holland Drive is a fancy collection of hairpin turns and deceptive curves along the top of a mountain that separates Hollywood and Beverly Hills from the San Fernando Valley. But when I was on it and burning up good rubber at each bend as I headed for number 361 North, gas pedal on the floor. Driving conditions were the least of my worries. And it wasn't until I had parked away from the bungalow that perched on the edge of a cliff and was out of my car, 38 in hand and close to a half-open French window, that I breathed a long, long sigh of relief. Because then I could clearly see that Judson Angel was still alive. I swallowed the side fast, and I could also see Angel's face. It said there was nothing permanent about his good health. Because on the other side of the room, and only visible to me via a corner mirror, was the reason why. Holding on tight to a short, ugly revolver was the one the horoscope, it said, could be Eileen Voss's killer. The CPA known as Phoebe Hammond. While she talked, I moved around to where I'd be able to take aim in one straight line. Want to kill Eileen in the first place? It was an accident. I don't believe you. Doesn't matter now. You see, I'd invested some money with her, Judge. Money that wasn't mine. When I found out she was going broke. I went up to see her and demanded it back. She laughed at me. I got mad. I hit her. She took out a gun and said she'd call the police if I didn't leave. I grabbed it away from her. Then I shot her. Then you were there when I came in. Yes. And when I 
saw you and that cab driver she'd called earlier take the body, I, I didn't know what to do. Until later, when I met with Marlowe on your behalf and learned all about Berleffi and the tie class we'd done. The tie class with the lion on it that you'd recognize as mine if Marlowe ever got the chance to show it to you. But he won't, Judge. I can't let him. Phoebe, Phoebe, you're crazy. You're crazy. You'll never get away with it. Oh, yes, I will, Judge. It'll be Berleffi they'll blame. He entered your room with a gun in his hand. I know. I saw him and that girl. Also, Judge, I'm the reason you got away from him. I rammed into his car when he started after you. Too bad, Judge. Worse than that, Phoebe, it's a crying shame. Marlowe! Lights! The lights stop, so she can see your silhouette! I can follow her footsteps, we're even. Silver Terrace, she's trying to get away. There she is outside. She tripped filled the radio! Phil, it's a, it's a good 200 feet down to solid rock. Yeah. Run away from it, Judd. Time we made a phone call. It was four o'clock in the morning. We were still on top of the mountain before the police had found the broken body of Phoebe Hammond. Berleffi had been picked up, and in lieu of anything better booked for... Breaking and entering Eileen Voss's place. When the parade of law, press, and just curious who always show up at the scene of a murder had finally left, it made it just me and Judd and a cop named Matthews. Well, let me see if I got this straight for the record, Phil. First, you thought it was a tough called Berleffi. And second, you were afraid you'd been a sucker and it was really your client. And finally, you figured it had to be a woman who all the way looked like she was no more than along for the ride. What? You mean you really believe I could have done it, Phil? Well, yeah, it looked that way for a while, Judd. You know, you said you hadn't been past the living room up at Eileen's, and yet I found a tie clasp in the bedroom there ornamented with a lion. And then I found out your real name was also lion. It almost added. Yeah, but since you didn't have a chance to find out whether or not Berleffi was missing a tie clasp, you still considered that was only circumstantial evidence, am I right? Right, yeah. Until I ran into the switch, which was an envelope that had belonged to Phoebe Hammond. There was a horoscope chart inside. Which meant what? Well, it... Only meant that she went in for that stuff no more until I remembered her mentioning that her birthday was next week, which is early August. And that, no doubt, puts her under the sign of the Zodiac run by one Leo the Lion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, and the mannish tight-neck suit she always wore could have met a shirt and tie underneath. Minus class. Exactly, gentlemen. That's it. Uh, <clears throat> now, me, Lieutenant, uh... What? Look, when you get back down to headquarters and, you, you know, you start the paperwork. Yeah. Do you have to mention a guy named Judson Angel? Uh, a guy named what? Judson Angel. Mm. <laughs> 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 uh, nothing, nothing. I, I, I was just thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. a bad practice, Phil, you know? It's kind of like <laughs> only telling a policeman half of what you know can uh, get you in trouble. Mm. Unless you're lucky. Oh, uh, give you a lift, Mr. Uh, <laughs> you, Mr. You already have. Thanks, Lieutenant. And Phil, I... Good night, Judd. Judd and the lieutenant left, I figured I'd have a last cigarette on the terrace. Think a little about the desperate people I'd met on a night that had started out to be quiet. 
I found myself not smoking, not watching the early sun brighten the valley below, and not thinking about much of anything except the overturned stone flower pot that was lying next to the splintered rail where Phoebe Hammond had tripped and taken her final plunge. It was an ordinary square flower pot with an ordinary flower in it. But the figure in relief on the side was a lion resting on its haunches. And you know, as I looked at it, I thought it was a little more majestic than most. Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. The people who make 76 gasoline and Triton Motor Oil, Union Oil Company, present... The Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis. Shane isn't burning the midnight oil over some unsolved crime. He's generally doing the next most interesting thing, talking about one. Right now, he's leaning back in his easy chair, doing a powerful lot of talking to his old friend, Inspector Faraday. It's a stag session for Mike's assistant, Phyllis Knight, has gone home early this evening. Of course, Faraday, I don't know much about the case except what I've read in the papers, but it seems to me that you're going after the wrong guy. Mike, this Joe has got a prison record as long as a kangaroo's tail. Why should he sidestep a little thing like murder? Just because he has got a prison record as long as a kangaroo's tail. Look, I remember a case back in New York that's almost a carbon copy of this. I've got some newspaper clippings on it in the files here. I'll read them to you in just a second. You don't get the point, Mike. This killing is gruesome, horrible. It would take a hardened criminal to carry it through. Doggone it, they're here in the files somewhere. Now, Phil could turn right to it. Yeah, she went home kind of early this evening, didn't she? Yeah, She's got a girlfriend staying up at the apartment with her. <laughs> Went home to help her pack up. Friend from out of town? Uh-huh. Girl had a fight with her fiancé and wants to play hermit for a few days. I know. The old feminine trick. Goodbye forever. Till next Saturday night. Right. I'll get it, Mike. Hello? Mike. Oh, thank heavens you're still there. This is Faraday, Phyllis. Mike's ransacking his files. I'll get them for wait you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You better hear this too, Inspector. Maybe it's your business. What's wrong, girl? You sound scared blue. I am. I know something's happened. I don't dare look. All right, but what is it, Phil? Yeah, wait, wait a minute. Let me talk to her. Here. She sounds like she's going to cry. Hello, Angel. Oh, Mike. Mike, get over here quick. Now, wait a minute. Calm down, honey. Now, tell me what's wrong. Well, you, you know Lois was leaving my apartment tonight, and I came home to help her pack. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, Mike, she's not here. At, hmm? at least, I don't think so. Now, please, Angel, wait a minute. I can't tell what you're talking about. Well, I found her trunk already packed and locked. And, yeah? And I think... Yep. I, yep. What? What, honey? What? I think her body's inside. <laughs> Last, I thought you'd never get here. Honey, we came as fast as we could. Yeah. Where's the trunk? In the bedroom. 
All right, now tell me what happened. Well, I found the hall door off the lock, so I expected she'd be right back. I kept waiting, and then I started to worry. She had that row with Nelson. He threatened her. <laughs> you see what I mean, Faraday? A woman's intuition. <laughs> well, the, the baggage man came. He started to take the trunk, but then... Then I heard it. Heard what? Something slumped inside. And the trunk seemed so heavy, I... I told the man to leave it. We weren't going to send it after all. Oh, great. I looked at it real close, and, and when I saw the padlock... I, Oh, that's when I phoned you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, I see it. It's mere blood on the lock. That's not unusual, honey. Maybe she cut her hand when she closed the trunk. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I'm no child. Look here in this closet. There. There are all Lois's dresses, still on the hangers. They weren't packed in the trunk. It just means that she hasn't finished packing. I thought of that, too, Mike. I started to push the trunk back against the wall, but it wouldn't budge. There's something inside of it, and it isn't clothing. Well, let's see. Loaded with something. There. There, you hear that? Something slumped inside. Just as you tipped the trunk, Faraday. Okay, I guess the only way we can satisfy you is to open it, if we can find the key. Well, here, I've got it. It's, it's here in her purse. That's another thing that scared me, Mike. Lois's handbag. Just laying here on the dressing table. Let's have it, Phil. Honey. Wasn't that the hall door? Of course. There's your girl now. Oh. Oh, it's about time that she... No. No, it's Nelson. Hmm? Let's see. Yeah. You looking for somebody, partner? Oh, uh, I, I didn't think there was anybody you here. You always walk right in when there's nobody home? Well, I meant, uh, I, I thought Lois was here alone. I'll, I'll come back again. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, we'd like you to stay. She, uh, she may be in any minute. Well, I, I really... Uh, come in a minute. Come on in. We'd like to talk to you ourselves. Come on, come on, come on. I, I, I don't understand... You're friends of Lois? Yes. This is Mike Shane and Inspector Faraday. I don't understand. You don't have to. Okay, Phil, let's have that key. Here. Thanks. Hey, here, what are you doing? That's Lois's trunk. You have any right to Maybe go not, uh, but we like to open surprise packages. Oh, oh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a mistake. All right, Mike. Let's swing her open. Honey. Yeah? What's inside? No, no, don't look. I'm afraid you were right. Karn is on his way. Oh, it, it doesn't seem real. Just a few hours ago, I was talking to her, and now... I know, honey, I know. It's hard to take you, young fellow, what's your name? Huh? Uh, Nelson Carter. Supposed to be the girl's fiancé, huh? You don't seem to be particularly upset. Uh, I'm stunned. What, uh, what brought you here? I came to see Lois. I, I was here this afternoon and we had another fight. I came back to apologize. That's something new. First time you ever apologized for anything. You drove the poor girl half crazy. Well, it was her fault. She wouldn't listen to me. I was right from the very start. Oh, sure. So right you never let her have a thought of her own. You hounded her with your rightness. That's why she moved in with me, to get away from you and your pestering phone calls and your fights. That's a lie. You came between us. Lois told me this afternoon you said she should forget me. I told her so at breakfast. But she couldn't. She was still in love with you. What? Huh? 
She was going back to her apartment tomorrow morning. There's something I don't get. If Lois was using Phil's apartment as a sort of hideout, how did this fellow know she was here? That's my business. It's also ours, son. What time did you come here this afternoon? Why, about 4.30. Hmm. And the girl's been dead three or four hours. Say, look here, if you're trying to pin this on me, you're crazy. Maybe. Lois told me about your insane temper. You threatened to kill her. I did not. Oh, you're a pack of fools. But I think I do know who did it. Yeah? Who? Wait a minute. Hmm? Who can that be? Oh, it's too soon for the coroner. I'll answer it. Good evening. Good evening. Well, sorry to bother you at this hour, but we had some trouble about a pickup at this address. Oh, what kind of a pickup? Why, a, a trunk. I'm the traffic investigator for the transfer company. We gave one of our drivers a pickup order at this apartment, but he didn't bring it in. In fact, he's disappeared. Oh, wait a minute. I can explain part of it. I told your driver I'd changed my mind. I didn't want the trunk sent. Oh, oh, I see. You... Oh, you're Miss Phyllis Knight. That's right. Haven't I, uh... Haven't I met you somewhere before? Your voice sounds familiar. In order, Mr. Shane. You used to hear it every day. Hmm? Going up, sir? Floors, please? An elevator operator. In the Rust Building. Well, I'm... I'm sorry I disturbed you, but we're just trying to locate our driver. Good night. Yeah. Mm, uh, good night. That's funny. Why should a baggage company driver disappear? Right after he came for this trunk. I wonder... All right, kids, let's get back to business. Now, Mr. Carter, you start to say you knew the killer. Yeah, Lois's old boss, Joseph Spiegel. He's uh, head of the Spiegel Chemical Laboratories. She told me this afternoon he was coming to see her. Yeah, but he doesn't know she was here. Lois quit her job with him last week. Assuming he did know, why should our next boss want to kill the girl? Because he's a crook. I used to work in Spiegel's laboratory, and I discovered he was stealing formulas from other companies. So I quit. Yeah, but not Lois. Oh, no. Now, she was his private secretary, and her boss was just the soul of honor. That's what started our fighting. Yes, but when she learned you were right, she did quit. Three days ago. All right. But it sounds like a pretty flimsy reason to kill a girl. Not if Lois had the goods on him. He wanted to stop her tongue. You weren't fighting about that this afternoon? No. No, she told me she was going to go to work for another chemical company. I told her when I married, I didn't want my wife working. Well, we both got pretty mad. She said she'd never marry me. I can imagine how you took that with your conceit. Uh, how about it, Mike? I don't know. I'm a little worried, Faraday. This is Phil's apartment. She's been living here alone up till the past few days. Yeah? Lois and Phyllis are about the same height, same color hair. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe somebody thought he was killing Phyllis. Huh? Who'd want to? I haven't an enemy in the world. Oh, you've got hundreds, angels, as many as I've got. Mm. Mike Shane and Phyllis Knight have sent plenty of lugs up the river. Yeah, but Lois and I don't really look alike, Mike. A, a killer would be awfully certain before he did it. Why should he, honey? Yours is the only name on the mailbox. If some crook hired a gunman to come to this address and knock off the girl living in apartment 616... Listen, Mike, that stuff doesn't happen in San Francisco. Those are the old Al Capone days. <sighs> Well, maybe I'm a nervous Nelly. I just don't want Phil running any danger. Mike. Yes? Come here a minute. Look here. Hmm? Here. This ashtray. Uh -huh, I see what you mean. Mr. Carter, do you uh, smoke? What? Uh, yes, a uh, pipe. Oh. There's a cigar button in this ashtray. Spiegel. He smokes them all the time. I told you he was coming here. Maybe we should check that right now. You know where he lives? Yeah, he's got an apartment at his plant. It's next to the laboratory. That's on uh, Bay Street. Okay, suppose Phil and I mosey over there right now and swap formulas with Dr. Speaker. Good, and if the coroner gets through here in time, I'll join you. Oh, Mr. Shane. Hmm? Have you got a gun? You think I'll need it? You might. 
Spiegel's a huge man with a cunning, fiendish mind. <laughs> well, thanks for the warning. I'll be ready with a few shenanigans of my own. In just a moment, we'll rejoin Mike and Phyllis in their adventures. Quality of workmanship and materials has always been the hallmark of successful business. That is why Union Oil Company has copyrighted the name Stopware. You see, Stopware lubrication is more than just a grease job. It is a system that has been worked out from years of experience to give your automobile the best possible care. With Stopware lubrication, you can be sure that nothing on your automobile has been overlooked or hurriedly serviced. Each fitting is carefully and thoroughly lubricated according to the manufacturer's specifications. Only the finest, high-quality greases are used. And while your car is on the hoist, the Minutemen inspect out-of-sight points and check them for danger signs. As a proof of Stopware's superior lubrication, you receive a written guarantee with each job. Stopware lubrication jobs are a matter of pride with Union Oil Minutemen. And you'll know why when you take the wheel after a stopware servicing. You'll find your car rolls smoother, handles easier, stands up better with regular stopware lubrication. So, ladies and gentlemen, with correct car servicing so important these days, why take a chance on inferior work? Stopware, the best attention you can buy, costs no more than ordinary lubrication. Remember, stopware is an exclusive, guaranteed process. Available only at Union Oil Minuteman stations. It is a dark and foggy street in San Francisco's commercial district. Light streams out into the night through an open door. The entrance to the Spiegel Chemical Laboratories. In the doorway is the huge silhouette of a man. Shane? Michael Shane? Yes, sir. I do not know you, sir. I'm aware of that, Dr. Spiegel, but Miss Knight and I would like to talk to you. It's very important. Impossible. Tonight I'm working in my laboratory. It's about Lois Lavers, Doctor. Lois? Oh. Come in. Close the door, please. We will talk in the laboratory. I must get back to my experiment. This way, please. Thank you. Jeepers, he is a giant, Mike. Mm Mm-hmm. And those thick glasses make him look like a movie horror man. You said... Mr. Shane, you are a detective. How did you know that? Well, I rather expected Lois might talk to someone. She's a very neurotic girl. She imagines things. I'm afraid she's past that, Dr. Spiegel. She's dead. Dead? Murdered. It's a pity. She had a fine brain. But, uh, too much imagination? My laboratory... I caution you both not to handle the tubes or retorts. They are very fragile. Oh. Golly, it's a, it's an elaborate place. What are you experimenting on? That, madam, is my business. Doctor, I believe you knew Nelson Carter, Lois' fiancé. Hmm, he used to work here. Capable, but a wild temper. And very jealous. Of you, perhaps? Yes. I used to take Lois to dinner so I could continue my work without interruption. Nelson misunderstood. Yes. I should not be surprised if he killed her. Perhaps. Uh, You saw Lois this afternoon, Doctor. About what time? A very good detective. (laughs) About five o'clock, I would say. How did you know she was staying in my apartment? 
One moment. There is trouble with this Rito. Better? Better? How did I know? It is very simple. Lois telephoned me. Her last paycheck was incorrect. I brought her a new one. Is that all you want to see her about? No. Also, I asked her to come back. She was an excellent secretary. Mr. Shane, what are you doing? Just admiring your laundry in the sink. Laundry? Does your experiment include bleaching of blood-soaked handkerchiefs, Doctor? Good heavens. <laughs> yes, they, they are my handkerchiefs, yes. But the blood is not from Lois's veins. Ooh. She was strangled, then stabbed to death by a sharp instrument, Doctor. Like this surgical knife here. <laughs> Perhaps I, I show you how I use that knife. In this cage... Ooh, rats. Hundreds of them. One hundred, madam. Disease, very sick rats. When my experiments are concluded, they go in here. Into this bin. Oh, no. Ooh. Very dramatic, doctor. But it doesn't fool us. Sure, sure, you wanted Lois to come back to work, but she told you she was going to another chemical company. That scared you, doctor. If she told about your stolen formulas and your other cookery... Oh, so she did talk. I thought this was a trick. Don't you reach for your gun, Mr. Shane. My hand is already in my pocket. You killed her. You lie. She's not dead. It's a trick to get something on me. Get out. Get out of here, both of you. Now you will forget you ever came here. You will drop this investigation. I don't take orders from you, Dr. Spiegel. This time you will. Your young lady has sense if you have not. Good night. Oh, I thought he was going to keep us in there and experiment on us. Yes. <laughs> he's a cold-blooded baby. Yeah. Mike. Hmm? Hey, hey, the inspector. There, he's parked in that police car. Oh, with Nelson. Yeah. He's got here in time to see the bums rush. What are the odds? I don't know, Inspector. He's devilish enough to commit murder. Should I take him in for questioning? No, no, not yet, not yet. He'll be here. He doesn't scare out. Mike found handkerchiefs soaking with blood. He, he said he was experimenting with rats. Mm. I think he was sincere, though. He figured we were on the trail of those stolen formulas. He killed her, I tell you. If the police don't get him, I will. Oh, stop acting. You're too dead anxious to pin it on Spiegel. Yes, yes, and the good doctor threw the honor right back at Nelson. I'm on the fence. Spiegel had the motive, Nelson had the jealousy and the temper to do it. Each saw the girl about the time she died. Mike, if you ask me, you're passing up a bet. Hmm? The killer stuffed Lois into the trunk so her body could be smuggled out of the building. Find where the trunk was going and perhaps we'll have the address of the murderer. But she ordered the trunk picked up herself, Phil. Maybe she didn't. Anyway, it's worth a try. Hop in, Angel. We're heading for that transfer company. <laughs> Appreciate it, sir. You're coming down and opening the office at this time of the night. Well, lucky my wife saw you were a policeman or she'd never have let me out of the house. <laughs> uh, this is our dispatch office. Oh, uh, by the way, have you located your missing driver? Missing driver? I, I don't understand. Why, your traffic investigator came to the apartment. The driver that was to pick up the trunk had disappeared. He, he was checking up. Well, that's impossible. All of our men checked into that. And we don't have a, what did you call him, a traffic investigator? Mike. 
He was a fake. Mm-hmm. It's not so good. Probably never ran an elevator in the Rust Building either. This thing is getting screwier by the minute. Oh, here we are. Here's the pickup order on the trunk. It's under the name, uh, oh, yes, Phyllis Knight. Not under Lois Lavers. Well, let's see. It was a phone order. Received 5.25 p.m. Yeah. Trunk to be sent to 9053 Jennifer Street. Hmm? Hmm. Seems to me I've heard that address before. 9053 Jennifer. 9053 Jennifer. Yeah, there's something about it. I should hope so. It's the address of Michael Shane. <laughs> I was right, Inspector. I was right. Lois was killed by mistake. It was intended to be filled. Well, if that's the case, then Carter and Spiegel cancel out. Correct, honey. The murderer had planned to kill Phyllis, send her body in that trunk to my apartment, and leave me to explain it to the police. All right, maybe so. Say the motive is revenge. You got a hundred enemies, Mike. One of them poses as a transfer company investigator, but who is he? He didn't leave a single fingerprint in Phil's apartment. Where do we start looking? Oh, if I could only remember the guy. I, I know his voice. But where have I heard it? When did I? I must know him. Well, he didn't know me very well, or he'd never have killed the wrong girl. Lois and I were the same height, same color of hair, Mike, but that's all. Maybe maybe he figured you changed a lot, honey, if, if he hadn't seen you in a long time, if he'd been away, if he'd ha- been... Faraday! Yeah, if he'd been away in prison. Kids, we're going to make a phone call right now. Hello, give me San Quentin. Phil... Phil, honey, close that door to the other room. I yeah. can't hear a thing. Hello, Inspector Faraday. San Francisco calling. Yes, I want to speak to him personally. Might get on that extension phone. Hmm? Yeah, okay. Hello, Faraday. What's on your mind? Plenty, sir. We need a list of all prisoners you've released from your little sanatorium in the past two weeks. Past two weeks, huh? Yeah. I'm afraid it'll hardly make a list, Faraday. Only one man. What's his name? Now, let me see. Well, it was Ford. Harold Ford. That mean anything to you, Mike? Hmm. Well, never heard of him. Oh, who's that on the phone, Mike Shane? Well, you got sharp ears, sir. We, uh, we figured maybe you had released a prisoner who had a grudge against me. Some old enemy of Mike's who might try his hand at revenge. Oh, that's the only release we've had lately. In fact, Mike, you can subtract one enemy from your book. Hmm? Died here last week. Al Smock. Al S- Holy jumping. Now I remember. It's Al Smock's brother, Jack Smock. That's right. He had a brother. Came up here and claimed the body. Does that mean anything to you? Ha-ha! Does it? Send an extra plate in your dining room, Chief. We're sending you a new border. Goodbye, sir, and thanks a million for your help. Jack Smock. Jack Smock. He must have dyed his hair and put on glasses. Phil, Phil, you remember the case? The two brothers uh, about four years ago? Yeah, yeah, vaguely. It was, uh, it was manslaughter. You helped send the one called Al Smock up for 20 years. Right, honey, right. Jack was supposed to be Brothers Al, alibi. Yeah. But our testimony tied him up in bow knots. Yeah, that's so right. So Al died in prison. Now, Brother Jack is out for revenge. Oh, fine. But where is Brother Jack right now, and how do we catch him? Got it, honey. Jack claimed the body, so he must have buried him. Now we got to find that body. <laughs> return to Mike Shane and his adventures in just a moment. Due to their position, the front wheel bearings of your automobile are subject to damage from dirt, water, grit, and brake dust. 
Because of their more exposed position, and because they are so important to safe, easy driving, front wheel bearings need the best possible lubrication. Failure to keep these bearings well greased can mean wheel shimmy, hard steering, and weakening of the whole front assembly. For these reasons, your neighborhood Union Oil Minuteman uses extra care when he lubricates your front wheel bearings. First, he washes out all the old grease and dirt with solvents. Then the bearings and races are individually cleaned until they are dry and shiny. Finally, the clean, polished bearings are carefully assembled in the races and greased with special equipment. With each bearing snugly sealed in a smooth, sturdy coating of Union Oil Ball Roll Grease, your front wheels are all set for months of well-lubricated, easy rolling. The cost for the entire service is nominal, so for safer, easier driving, just stop in wherever you see the sign of the big orange and blue 76 and ask for Union Oil Front Wheel Bearing Service. Thank you. At police headquarters, Mike and Inspector Faraday each holds a telephone in his hands. They have checked every cemetery in the book. Well, here's the last one. Shadow Mountain Cemetery. Yes, sir. Here it is. Albert Smock, interred last Friday. The plot was bought by a Mr. Jack Smock. Swell, swell. Uh, what's his address? Our records show it as 1960 Waterfront. <laughs> This is it, kids. Looks like a busted-down rooming house. And somebody's head sticking out of every window. Yeah, there. There's a sergeant at the entrance. Good work, sergeant. Anybody try to leave the building? No, sir. I got two boys at the back door, two in the alley, and two by the fire escape. Okay, let's go in, Mike. I'm coming, too. You are not. You want a hole in your head? I might get one just standing here, smarty. Hmm? Smock may be in that crowd across the street. Something oh. to that, Mike. Yes. Sergeant, your job will be to take care of Miss Knight. We're all going in. Right. Jeepers, it's dark again. Why don't they light these stairs? Quiet, honey, quiet. Right. He's on this next floor. If he's in his room. The landlord said room 305. Now, let me see. That'd be here to the left. Keep close to the wall. There it is. That door there. There's no light shining under it. Maybe he's playing possum. Sergeant. You and Phil stay here, flatten out against the wall. Yes, sir. Now, you ready, Fanny? Ready. Mm, he's playing coy. Open up, Smock. You're completely surrounded. Okay, so you won't open up. All right, Fanny? Yeah. So that's his answer. Okay, Mike, let's go. I'll get the light. Oh, hurry up, hurry up. Here Something it is. Happened. Mike. Oh, he's flat on the floor. Mike, are you all right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, Inspector, okay. Climb out from under that table. We, I know somebody got hit, but who? He shot the gun right out of my hand. Yeah, I know. I didn't know where to aim in the dark till he fired and I saw his flash. Thanks to you, Mike, I'm still breathing. Yeah, well, this man on the floor won't be unless we get an ambulance quick. You... Found out. I didn't think. Yeah, you're right, buddy. You didn't think. Period. 
Revenge doesn't take much in the way of brains. Just an awful lot of lives. <laughs> Don't be silly, Phyllis. Mrs. Faraday will be glad to put you up for a couple of nights. Here, drink this down. Right. He's right, honey. Stay out of your apartment for a few days till you sort of forget what's happened. Oh, all right. I was just thinking. Hmm? You know, this was a freak case. Everything stacked up so strongly against Nelson Carter and Dr. Spiegel. Mm-hmm. And yet at the last minute, it turned out to be almost a complete stranger. Because we were looking for the wrong motive. Yeah, I'm worried about that guy Spiegel. He looks to me like a guy who'd commit plenty of murders. And will before he gets through with his career. No, you can spike that, Faraday. Lock him up for stealing chemical formulas. That'll keep him quiet. Hey, not a bad idea. Keep him so busy making little ones out of big ones that he can't make dead ones out of live ones. <laughs> well, I hope, honey, that this little episode won't scare you out of the detecting business. Nearly getting bumped off by your boss's enemies. He's got plenty more enemies besides Jack Smock. Oh, I don't know. I'd stick anyway. My boss forgets the attractions of the job. What? <laughs> what? Why, honey? <laughs> again next week at 8.30 for another adventure with Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Wally Mayer and Kathy Lewis, and Joe Forte as Inspector Faraday. Tonight's story was written by Richard DeGraff and based on the character created by Brett Holliday. Music was composed and directed by Bernard Katz. This is John Lang saying goodnight for the people who make 76 gasoline and Triton motor oil. Union Oil Company. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System.